From the Political Science Department at UW-Madison, I'm Emily Tomlin. And I'm Michael Mikowski. I'm not trying to turn students into political scientists. I'm trying to turn them into intelligent consumers. And this meant that I could both join an extraordinary political science department filled with exceptional scholars. One of the most gratifying things is to have students come up at the end of a class and say, I used to think politics was boring. This, 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 this is 1050 Bascom. This fall, 1050 Bascom is going to sound a little different. Josh Mesner, the previous host, has found different opportunities that led him away from Madison. I'm Emily. And I'm Michael. And we are undergrad students in the political science department here at UW-Madison. While we worked last year behind the scenes as student editors, this year we will be leading the interviews, realizing this podcast is a project by undergrads for undergrads. We hope you enjoy our work and thank you for your continued support of 1050 Bascom. I am not Josh Mesner. My name's John Zumbrun, and I'm the chair of the Department of Political Science here at UW-Madison. And at least for another six hours or so, I'm Josh Mesner's boss. This is a special and sad episode for those of us who know and work with Josh. Um, we've known for some time that Josh was working to find interesting, engaging work in Washington, D.C., and in the last two weeks, he's succeeded. He's landed an amazing professional opportunity in the nation's capital, which we'll talk a little bit about today. Um, but that means he'll soon be leaving us in Wisconsin. Um, in fact, uh, maybe in the next 72 hours, right, Josh? Yeah, that's right. So um, before you leave, Josh, we want to turn the tables a little bit here at 1050 Bascom, and I'm going to ask you questions. <laughs> Josh is a, a 2017 political science grad. Mm -hmm. um, he's pursued a number of internships and jobs, and we think that uh, it's nice before he leaves to get some uh, of his perspective and see if he's got any uh, advice for our current students and for young alums. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'm going to ask Josh questions, but I suspect old habits die hard, <laughs> and at some point he'll turn around and ask me questions. Yeah, it might happen. Which will be just fine. We'll see. So first, Josh, thanks uh, for doing this last podcast with us. I know you're scrambling to get ready to move to D.C. on quite short notice. So I know you always start off by asking your guests to talk about their journeys to UW, and then their time at UW. But I'm gonna cut right to the chase and start off with a question that I know is most important for our listeners, and it's the question that's been keeping me up at nights lately. And that's, I just want you to tell us, how could you possibly leave us? What, <laughs> what could DC have to offer that would lure you away from the Department of Political Science at the University of Wisconsin? Yeah, so I guess the first thing would be to preface this question by saying, um, it's been an amazing opportunity to work in the political science department, um, sitting now with you. Usually you're sitting behind me in your office and we're having, <laughs> you know, fun banter about various things or I'm counting how many Oreos you've eaten in the last hour. And reminding me of the number of <laughs> calories in each. Um, and then, of course, we have Amy sitting with us right now as uh, the producer of this podcast. And without you guys, um, this would be a, a totally different experience for me. Um, and having you guys makes this transition um, that much more sad. Um, of course, I'm excited, but uh, it's been an absolute pleasure working with you. Yeah, well, you know, when you have um, people who you, are, you work with who are talented at and passionate about what they do, and, um, you know, you develop a tight bond. And mm -hmm. so I know mm -hmm. we feel the same way about you, and it's a, it's a tough thing to watch you go. But yeah. we're excited for no, this yeah, opportunity you've too. got in D.C. Yeah, so tell so, us about that. Definitely. So it is, uh, it's called the Energy Impact Center. 
uh, and they are essentially a think tank that is working on deep decarbonization. Um, and right now, they are in the first phase of two phases. The first is essentially data gathering, uh, compiling a data library of information relevant to how we figure out going about decarbonization, the oceans, the atmosphere, things like that. Uh, they are going through uh, nuclear options right now. That's, uh, that's the major uh, questions that they're asking these interviews. And right now they're talking to engineers, scientists, policymakers, um, international, domestic, all over the board. Um, so that's phase one. And they actually have a podcast, which uh. is very cool. <laughs> this is how they're collecting this data. Phase two is how do we implement this? Uh, we're on a literal deadline, deadline. Like right, our, our yeah. atmospheres are, are uh, increasingly warming, our oceans are warming. Um, this is very relevant to everyone, not just those that are working on climate change and, and, and the such. So yeah, that's the position, uh, or I should say that's the company. My position is working as essentially their office manager. Um, kind of day-to-day -day operations, looking long-term, how do we onboard people that are going to help us facilitate this change uh, in the nation's capital and beyond? And so I'm really excited to be able to come in essentially at the ground level and help build this team uh, and see where it goes. Yeah. That's great. And and they have a podcast, as they you say. They have a podcast. So maybe you can... Uh, play a role in that, bring yes. some of your 1050 Baskin exactly. experience to bear on that. That's right. So um, on the question of decarbonization mm -hmm. right, and, and climate change more generally. So over the spring, I read a couple books. Mm. Um, one was called The Uninhabitable Earth, okay. which is um, a very, very dire warning about um, climate change, about the effects that are coming our way um, in terms of rising sea levels, certainly, but mm -hmm. also uh, increased wildfires, uh, food mm -hmm. shortages mm -hmm. coming as uh, conditions for agriculture change and as the um, zones where agriculture is possible shift dramatically over mm -hmm. the coming years. That was one book that I read. And then um, at the suggestion of a colleague, I picked up another book that um, reviews the top 100 possible solutions okay. to climate change yeah. and is a very upbeat, optimistic book. Mm -hmm. So tell me about where you're at on this. Yeah. Should we be scared to death mm -hmm. or should we be hopeful? That's a good question. Um, I think let's, I always love using examples. Um, and so where I am is Humans are in the school playground right now, and we are really, really good at kicking that can down the road across the playground. Mm -hmm. And we're able to adapt and change incrementally. Um, so yeah, sure, wildfires are gonna keep getting larger and spread faster, but we may be able to implement tactics that we're able to uh, contain them a little bit better, right? Not to say that they're not getting worse, um, but we're able to do something about it. Eventually, that can is going to hit the side of the school, and we're not going to be able to kick that can any further down the road. And the farther we kick it and the farther we punt it and defer our actions, the closer it's getting to that brick wall. And so I think there is going to be a time in the near future where we're unable to kick that can um, farther. And so I really want to do everything that I can to avoid 
in our lifetime or in future generations' lifetimes hitting that brick wall. And so I think there's also a question of those that deny climate change. Um, I pose the question, say you're right and uh, climate change is not uh, anthropocentric. What's the harm in reducing carbon in the atmosphere? Um, mm -hmm. there, there could be economic reasons to are beneficial to us for doing this, right? And I think there are. And so why take the chance of doing nothing when right now we have the time to make a change? Um, and then it's most likely that that change is quite, quite important. Right. So the change that we might make, do you, how much faith do you have that that change can come through the political process and mm -hmm. through government? Mm -hmm. And how much do you think that change by contrast is one that's going to be need to be driven by the private sector mm -hmm. or by civil society mm -hmm. that is this is a this is mm -hmm. is a problem that politics and government are simply not capable mm -hmm. of mm -hmm. addressing um well so i'm going to pose a question to you okay name a company or name an individual or name anything that doesn't have some relevance to the environment yeah, well, there's none. Exactly, right? right? None. So it's every everyone, industri everyone every industry is somehow yeah. related back to um, the environment and climate change affects them. So whether it comes from political or from a social movement, um, I honestly think it needs to come from both. I mm -hmm. don't think there's going to be one spot that it, it sparks and um, then everyone's on board with it. I think there needs to be, I hate to use this now, or this wording, but I think there needs to be little fires everywhere mm -hmm. um, that are kindled by a social movement or uh, some legislation. Um, there's an economic incentive. Maybe businesses can find a way that um, it's actually a moneymaker for us to right. adapt and uh, um, you know go out and, and, and make environmentally friendly um, operational changes within our company. And so all of those together I feel like is the only way that we're going to actually be able to make this change. I don't think it's going to be one piece of legislation that is a top-down approach to make everyone get on board with this. People are notorious for, you know, uh, you know, or not notorious, but they are able to view things in many, many different lights, which is a good and bad thing, right? So you have a lot of different people from different backgrounds working on this problem. You also have a lot of people from a lot of different backgrounds working on this problem. It's hard to corral them right. into coming to one common goal. However, I really want uh, a farmer, a firefighter, uh, a policymaker, um, a businessman. Like I want those types of positions to be involved in this decision. And only then would we be able to come to some conclusion of yes, uh, this is probably a logical first step. And I don't think there's going to be a silver, uh, excuse me, a silver bullet in terms of this is the one thing that we can do. It's going to solve everything. Right. It's going to be a compilation of multiple things, um, small life changes that individuals can make on a day-to-day -day basis that in aggregate will make a, a bigger change. And so it's going to be a full international uh, lifestyle, human choice um, right. to actually make this happen. Let's turn back now and talk. Um, we'll go back to that standard line of questioning that you <laughs> sure, pursue sure. with 1050 Bascom guests, and that is to talk about your, your journey. Ah. Um, 
to UW political science and then moving beyond UW political science. So you were a double major at UW in political science and environmental studies. Um, So first, um, were there other um, areas of study, other majors that you thought about and turned away from, or was it always kind of political science and environmental studies for you? No, yeah. So I definitely had other ideas in mind. so both of my parents are educators and my dad's a college professor and my mom works with uh, 4K students. So our kitchen table was always a uh, discussion of, you know, learning and education. It's also a really funny side story. Sometimes I wouldn't know if my dad was talking about his kids or my mom was talking about her kids. Um, <laughs> exactly. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I think having my dad a, as a um, biology professor, um, the hard sciences was something that I was initially drawn to. Um, and I kind of really didn't consider anything outside of that. And okay. so when I came to UW, I was interested in actually biomedical engineering. Okay. Yep. Um, a little bit so, different field. Yeah, a little off topic. Um, so <laughs> I was interested there and I took classes in engineering, um, up until actually my sophomore year. And I was always interested in, or understood that uh, the environment uh, was something that I was going to have to deal with, um, both professionally and personally. I really enjoyed the outdoors. Um, I w- knew that there was climate change issues and, and things like that. So I decided, heck, why don't I, I like engineering. What if I transition to environmental engineering? Okay. So I thought I'll work on uh, solar panels or uh, green certified buildings or wind turbines and things like that. And I would always come back to, so I'll say after these conversations at the dinner table with my parents, it was then a quick jaunt to the living room to catch the news, the nightly news. <laughs> okay. Um, and that was just the way things happened. Um, and so I was always relevant or uh, well kept on what was going on in the world. And so when I was studying environmental engineering, I realized wow, a lot of times engineers have to abide by policies or legislation or things that have already been uh, agreed upon and now they have to conform to. And sometimes those policies are a little wonky and yeah. uh, you know, not necessarily the right thing, but with the way that the political system works, this is the legislation that came out of it. So with that in mind, I'm like, what if I go to the other end? Instead of abiding by the policies that are um, used to uh, affect climate change, what if I'm the one creating those policies or helping influence what those policies are being talked about or written around? And so thus I found political science. And I still retain that environmental passion. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's where I found myself studying both of these majors, both of which have an enormous umbrella over everything in our world. Political science yeah. can be applicable everywhere. Environmental studies can be applicable everywhere. Yeah. Really interesting as well. Uh, I read an article when I was growing up that Steve Jobs uh, took a course uh, in college on calligraphy. And that was something that he brought with him when he started Apple. And it's something that influenced the design of Apple products okay. to have an, an aesthetic uh, appeal to 
not only the technology, but the software, the interface, things like that. And I always thought that there might be a class at UW that would be my calligraphy class, right. something that would really spark my interest and I would harness that um, uh, mentality going forward. Yeah. And I can't say that there ever was. Right. Um, because. <laughs> Do we offer calligraphy uh, at UW? I don't know. I don't I know. Don't know. Um, but it's, um, what I learned was there wasn't a class that, uh, that gave me that sense of, um, uh, you know, navigation, but it was the political science major in okay. itself. There was never like corporal punishment for not doing these right. things. It was just an understood mentality in our family that these things are important and they need to be done. And then you can go off and enjoy, yeah. you know. So it's a combination, it sounds like, of some unspoken but pretty clear expectations along with a lot of support and freedom yeah, to, yeah. to find your own path. Expectations in the sense that not that my parents wanted me to go be a doctor. Right. That was not the expectation. Right. The expectation was, I want you to be curious. I want you to go off and find something you're, you're passionate about. You're not going to find that passion the first class when, right. you know, first class of college. You might not find that passion until you're 30, but I want you to know that your mom and I are behind you 100% of the time and it's your life and you can make the best of it. I have a sort of similar experience. I uh, was a business major for my first two years in college and by middle of the way through my sophomore year realized it wasn't for mm -hmm. me. I was doing well and I, I actually enjoyed some of my courses, but it just wasn't the mm -hmm. kind of challenge I was looking for. Yeah. And I went home Thanksgiving of my sophomore year and talk to my parents about it. Mm -hmm. And I can still remember, like I have the actual mm -hmm. living memory of sitting at the kitchen table and mm -hmm. um, my parents suggesting that I just take a look and pick some major that looked interesting mm -hmm. to me and try a class in that major. And I picked political science because mm -hmm. for me it was reading the news magazines sure. that at that point in time still arrived in the mail once a week. And, <laughs> and I love politics from the time I was very young. And I look back on that and kind of marvel at the how calm my parents were mm -hmm. about the fact that I was going to switch gears pretty dramatically. Yeah. And I really didn't know where I was going. And it was the kind of support and freedom to say, no, it's okay. Yeah. You know, just yeah. go, go try this. And I think that's, that's such a... I look at that as a real gift that I was mm -hmm. given. And, you know, when I, when I talk, especially to first year students, I try to tell that story as often as I can mm -hmm. as a kind of personal testimony yeah. of, you know what, it's okay to not know mm -hmm. what you're going to do and you're going to find the path yep. that's going to work best for you. So. Yeah. And I mean, I think that comes back to first day of college or, you know, what's the question that people ask you at your high, high school graduation? What are you majoring in? Right. Right. I don't. No. And you feel guilty for not saying right. something. So you just pull it out of thin air. Right. You know, I give the people credit that pick a major on the first day sure. and stick with it. And now that's their career. Like, that's awesome. Good for you. I'm no, glad no, you were able to figure it out, right? No, no, there's people who have that passion from the time yeah. they're young and they know and, so, it, and, it, and they follow that and it's great. So you've already talked, I think, a little about this, thinking about the the path you, mm -hmm. you had through college. Mm -hmm. um, and for me, your story is is a sort of really good example of what a liberal arts education can do, right? And you, you may find your way to a variety of mm -hmm. different disciplines and uh, and majors and a variety of different kinds of courses along the way. Right. Um, and, you know, you come out as someone who not only has the environmental studies and the political science major, but you've got a serious background in natural science, right? Mm -hmm. And you did mm -hmm. some engineering mm -hmm. work. So, mm -hmm. you know, you've got that breadth. 
I wonder just in that context, if you might talk a little bit about if there are um, particular things you learned or mm -hmm. skills you mm -hmm. gained while you were at UW that have been helpful for you mm -hmm. as you've started life after college. Definitely. Um, so one of the things that I was a bit concerned about when transitioning from hard science major to a more social science major is that, you know, wow, I'm, I'm not going to know how to do anything. Like I'm not going <laughs> to be able to, you know, open somebody up and do brain surgery or, you know, something very particular. Right. right. And so that was a hard transition for me, honestly. And so one thing that I now have understood, and that is, I can look back on and say, yes, I've, I want to continue doing this is in a poli sci or social studies, social sciences degree, they teach you how to learn to do anything. Mm -hmm. And so I think that some major skills or, you know, ideas that I've gained is honestly communication. How do you interact with anyone. You might have a great idea about how to create some policy or utilize this wind turbine of engineering, you know, new idea. But if you're unable to convey that information to another person, written, orally, any of any of those, you might as well not even have the idea. Right. Um, and I'm also not saying grammar and, and things like that are obviously very important, but I'm saying communication in this broad sense of understanding the person that you're talking to, understanding their background, where they're coming from, where their mindset is, what things that they're really good at, what things are they not so good at, right. what motivations do they have, what goals do they have, and then being able to on the fly essentially modulate your conversation with them so that you can actually reach a goal that you both are somewhat moving towards. Poli-Sci has done that in spades for me. Right. Um, so that communication, we'll come back to writing. Honestly, I was a horrible writer. I could not write. I had great ideas, but just the layout of a structure of an essay was mm -hmm. just not there. My parents read to us all the time. And so that was something that I understood how to convey ideas, but the mechanics of writing just weren't there. Yeah. My dad is a, a very good writer, and uh, he and I would go back and forth with essay drafts that would just come bloody with red pen because <laughs> he had gone through and made edits. And oh, how I loathed sending sure. him essay drafts <laughs> that I knew were going to be an explosion when I got it back. But on that 15th essay draft, when I could see from draft one to draft 15, I really understood that this is a process that I really want to understand and get good at. I think one other thing is, as an example in terms of what a liberal education has given me, is this podcast. I don't know how to produce or host a podcast. I, I really enjoyed podcasts, and like I think it would be awesome to do it. Um, but I think one thing that my education has taught me is I know how to ask the right questions. Right. I know how to understand the answers that I'm given. And then I know how to learn and adapt and, and um, seek out ambition and goals and, and motivate myself to get there. And so, I mean, even when I listen to the first podcast that we produce, I cringe <laughs> at like, oh my God, like, Josh, what kind of editing skills or back thereof did you have or like hosting yeah. skills? Yeah. And now coming along to even this podcast and, and the ones in the future to see the trail uh that we've taken which was not straight we right. bumped into a lot of things it's like wandering around in a room with the lights off and you are figuring out that room by just running into the walls and smashing your face <laughs> in the walls and stubbing your toe and and 
that's okay, <laughs> yeah, right? As long yeah. as you, by the end of it, have figured out this room and then you open the door and you realize there's a whole house and you can go find those yeah. things, right? Yeah. So yeah, I think that that's also something that I've learned. So it, it, it you know, sounds like UW did fairly well by you. Um, you know, you came out of here with some skills that helped prepare <laughs> you um, to launch to launch your career and move on in your life more generally. Um, what about things that you you had to learn post college? Are mm. there things that mm. you left uh, you left UW with your degree in hand and you went out there and and started started in on your career and your life and you thought, oh wow, I didn't know this. <laughs> um, so I think in college um, there is a lot. Even though it doesn't seem like it sometimes, there's a lot of rigidity. There's just a couple of things that you need to make sure you do. Um, but, you know, that can be on a broad scale of like, you know, I'd really like to get an internship. But it's not like I need to turn this assignment in on Tuesday. Sure, that's important and that's rigid and right. set, it's a set structure. But then larger things of, you know, I should probably get an internship. There's a couple of paths laid out for you, essentially. Right. Not so once you graduate. <laughs> There's just not, right? right? You have this idea, you have a funnel where you're able to say, hey, yeah. I'm really interested in environmental studies. Um, learning about uh, food manufacturing is like, I, I don't, that doesn't, doesn't turn me on, right? Right. So I have an idea, I have a realm or like doing mathematical proofs. Like I know how to do it, but it just right. is not something that I want to go out and find a job in. And so that's helpful, right? So you have a little bit of a funnel or a path. Um, but then again, I come back to, you're going to make a lot of mistakes and you're going to find yourself doing a lot of things that maybe are dead ends. Um, one thing that I did learn is in college, there was a lot of pressure on you to not make a mistake. Okay. Um, right. You make a mistake, you get a B instead of an A. Right. Um, so there's a penalty for making a mistake. Things that I've learned in the real working world there's nine times out of 10, a workaround, um, right? <laughs> right? So if you right. make a mistake, you can manage it. You can figure out a way to get around and continue moving forward. Don't hide your mistakes. Right. Everyone is on board and knows you're human to know that you're going to make a mistake. If you drop the transfer of a call seven times, whatever, if you get it right on the eighth time and all the ones after that, who cares? You've learned and we're right. not going to, you know, berate you with this um, issue. Um, and so that's something that I really learned working in the political science yeah. office, honestly. Um, and also, if you're hired for a position, you're going to do that position, but you're going to be doing a lot of other stuff sure. as well. And it's up to you. Um, so I was interested in doing this podcast. So I was given a little bit of wiggle room to be able to pursue that passion. However, I also find my, myself doing a lot of event planning. I have no skills in doing a lot plan. of event planning. Yeah. So like it's something that it wasn't on the uh, job description. Right. Or, you know, to this degree. But I find myself doing it. I, I made mistakes. I learned. And now I can plan an event to some degree. Um, right. And so, yeah, that's something that I've learned in college, but now have been able to actually see as useful in the working world. Yeah. So on another level though, I want to ask you about sort of long-term goals, sure. right? And this is the sort of impossible question <laughs> of 
Do you have a vision of what success means for you? And if so, what's that look like? And you can take that in whatever direction you want, as broad or as narrow as you mm -hmm. want, but what's success look like for you? I'll have to say, so for some of these questions, I've written down maybe a little bit of a talking point sure. that I made, made sure I wanted to, uh, yeah. to hit. For this question, I have one talking point and it says not money. Not money, okay. So yep. that's something that my parents have instilled in me to live well within your means, but then you can still be immensely happy with what you have. And so money is something that I've been very fortunate to be put in a position where not something that I needed to worry about from a young age, right? but also now to have been instilled with this understanding that it's not the end all be all. Yeah. Um, success is not making uh, six figures, right? You know, there's this saying, you know, I I want to get up from my job every day and be passionate about what I do. That's what's going to get me out of bed. <laughs> Honestly, it'd be nice to make a really good salary and be able to do things outside of your free time. But I also want a job that my least favorite day of the week is Friday and my favorite day of the week is Monday. Mm -hmm. I think that's something that I strive to find, and that would feel to me like a success. So here's a different question for you, and I don't know quite how to put it. In the academic world, I'd ask a highfalutin wordy question like, what's your theory of political <laughs> yeah, <okay>. change? Um, <laughs> Are you a theorist? <laughs> I am a theorist, and, and I, I do enjoy a good conceptual argument. Yeah. But let me try to put this in a, a more down-to-earth way, and that's um, when you think about the kinds of political and social issues that motivate you, which I mm -hmm. think are probably centrally speaking mm -hmm. um, concerns about the environment. Do you think a, a, a young citizen like yourself, thoughtful, engaged young citizen, mm -hmm. can really make a difference? And, and if so, how? And, and I'll expand on that just a little mm -hmm. to say that one thing when I interact with students I have this nagging concern mm -hmm. that students today have less and less faith in the possibility of the political world mm -hmm. as a site for change. Mm -hmm. And they have less and less faith in the idea of leading for change. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean that they have less faith in big name prominent leaders, though honestly, that's kind of true too. Mm -hmm. And I don't mm -hmm. mean that as a partisan statement, it's mm -hmm. across the board, I think. But I mean, they have less, I, I worry, and mm -hmm. I guess this is the question I'm asking, I wonder mm -hmm. if someone like you thinks that you can go out in the world and make a difference mm -hmm. on the issues you mm -hmm. care about. I think we need to step back just a little bit and talk about the ideas of how you make a difference in the world. I think the generation that you are from is one where sweat on your brow and that hard work is what is going to take to make the difference. I think hard work is obviously central, um, but I think the definition for my generation of hard work is a little bit different than okay. the definition of hard work for your generation. Yep. I think the definition of hard work for you guys, I hate to say you and us, um, but is <laughs> There are these guidelines, let's ram through and figure out how we can conform our desires for change to fit the structure that's in place currently. Right. I think the definition for hard work for us is to sift and winnow through all of the data and information that's out there, understand that this is the structure that's in place, but not necessarily shove through the best conglomeration of ideas that we can through that structure but how can we reform that structure? And that's yeah. going to be that hard work. It's going to be hard work interacting with people, um, understanding where they're coming from. People in 
you know, from your hometown are much different from the people living in downtown Madison. They have different motivations. They're not concerned about the same social issues that we're concerned about. And so I think that generational difference is difficult because our generation is still learning from our parents. And so when our parents say one thing, but we are trying to go about it a different way, we Mm -hmm. feel like this might not be the direction that we need to go in, but we don't know how else to do it right now. Yeah. So wrapping up, any, anything that we missed that you think your fellow Badgers might want to know about uh, mm-hmm. anything? It's I a broad think, question. Yeah. So UW-Madison was actually the only university that I applied to oh, as really? an undergrad. Yep. Yeah. Um, I put all my eggs in one basket and yeah. it worked out and I could not be more excited. Um, my first day on campus, uh, you couldn't take the smile off my face. Yeah. I knew that I was entering a brotherhood of current Badgers, of alumni, um, this network of people that have gone through this (laughs) this war together, right? Of going through UW and the ups and the downs, the amazing ups and the very far downs. And I've gone to other universities before and sometimes I just, I don't feel that the other universities have that same sense of connection of you see somebody walking down the street in Copenhagen with a badger on their t-shirt and you just immediately feel yeah. like you can talk to them right. and they'll talk to you. And it's just this. And Wisconsin alums, when they go to Copenhagen, will wear, wear oh, something yeah. with a badger yeah. on it. Yeah. And so it's this badge of honor that you have gone through and gotten a world-class education at an amazing institution and you can rely on those people that you did not know existed, but you know that they are a badger as well. And they're going off into the world and doing amazing things and have great motivation. And uh, yeah, it's something that current undergrads, I think, feel literally when the ground is shaking at Camp Randall during Jump Around, but then also alumni also feel when they're off in the world and they realize that a coworker is a badger and they have an instant bond. And so, yeah, that's something that I would say is just soak it up while you're at UW because that's going to stick with you for the rest of your life. And even though I'm going to D.C., Madison and Dismas and Bascom Hill are going to always feel like home. Yeah. So, you know, Josh, as we wrap up, one of the really amazing things about being a college professor, and this continues for me, I've, I've been teaching at the college level for 20 years now, and it continues for me. One of the amazing things is to see young people grow Mm-hmm. and develop and then go out after they graduate mm-hmm. and find their way in the world. It's, it's mm-hmm. a special thing. And it's, um, you know, on the best days, it's just an incredible privilege mm-hmm. to be part of that process again and again and again mm-hmm. is just an incredible thing. Mm-hmm. And, and there's a real pride that comes with seeing people who you've worked with in mm-hmm. one way or another at the university go out and do amazing things. And mm-hmm. and so I wanna say before we sign off here, um, how proud I am of you. And I say that you, you're you an alum of our department. You, you took a course with me. It was mm-hmm. my online intro That's to right. political um, thought course. So probably, um, I saw a little photo of you in your yeah. in your uh, account yeah. in the course, um, but we hadn't met in person until no. you uh, applied for uh, and then accepted this job. Mm-hmm. 
And so, so the, the, the pride I feel in you as one of our students is a little different in that way, right? So it's not so much the pride of, oh, wow, that's a student who took three or four of my classes and, and I you know, played some role in their education. It's a different kind of thing. It's, mm-hmm. it's the pride I have in watching you come into the position you've had in this department and, and make it your own and seize those opportunities and um, you know, working with with Amy make this podcast a real ongoing thing. It's a kind of legacy that you leave behind in this department, which is a very special thing. Mm -hmm. But, but I, I do want to say just more generally for me, the way you approach your work and the way you think about your path in life and where you want to go is a really good model for other people to follow. And, and so, you know, that, that my kids mean the world to me. Mm Might even get a little emotional here. Like my kids mean the world to me. And I say this honestly, and I don't say this lightly. I'd be really proud if in a few years, my kids um, were approaching life and work and relationships the way you are. Um, So it has been an utter delight for us to work with you and get to know you. And, um, you know, as you were just saying, um, you're always a badger, mm-hmm. so uh, you can expect contacts from me yeah, um, whenever I'm coming to D.C. Or, or wherever you end up. And, you know, beyond that, uh, uh, young people like you give me a lot of hope in the future because I think it's it's folks like you that are going to that are going to tackle the big issues of our day, whether it's climate change or economic and social justice or mm-hmm, those mm-hmm. unknown, unknown problems yeah, right. out there. Yeah. We don't know what they're coming. Yeah. Um, it's people like you that are going to do that um, grinded out day to day work, but also yeah. the big vision work that's going to make things happen. So, um, you know, th- this is not a goodbye because I, you know, I'm coming to DC in July and I'm going to see you, but thanks so much for, for being part of our department and for, for sharing your, your skill and passion with us. It's been great. No. Yeah. Thanks, John. I want to thank both of you guys for being mentors, um, colleagues, friends, um, people that, uh, really have made an impact on my life. And, uh, I'm very proud to be a Badger and very proud to have had the experience that I've had in this department. So I look forward to uh, continuing to working for UW in any capacity that I can and, and going off and being a role model of the department and of this university that has given me so much. So thank you.